Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, November 5th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 1 to 15. The Lord tells Ezekiel to speak to the mountains of Israel to proclaim restoration and the return of the people of God to the land. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor David Boisclair. Pastor Boisclair serves at Bethesda and Faith Lutheran Churches in North St. Louis County, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Hey, it's good to be here today. Glad to have you back with us again, Pastor Boisclair. We're looking at the first part of Ezekiel chapter 36 this morning, and in order to do so, we really need to know what was said in chapter 35. Maybe just set set us up for that. How does chapter 35 and this part of chapter 36, how do those two things go together? Well, in uh, 36, of course, they uh, the Lord ha- has um, Ezekiel prophesy to the mountains and high places, or well, we, they don't use high places, the hills, mountains and hills of, of Judah. And uh, in uh, 35, there is, it's kind of like a law proclamation or oracle against the, the, the mountains and hills of Edom uh, as, as uh, Israel's opponent. And, and so there, it, it's kind of like, um, uh, and, and then earlier, of course, what in chapter six, there's an oracle against, um, you know, in this case, it's the, the mountains and hills of, of uh, Judah uh, to, um, uh, you know, against them, you know, in other words, a, a prophecy of, of a judgment. But, but again, the, these are like, I guess it's sort of like a, the, the way, like a metonymy, you might say, these high places represent the nations and, and, you know, and they're, you know, for instance, Jerusalem is, is, uh, uh, you know, a, a, on, a, on a hill and, and it's, uh, has, you know, oftentimes the psalmists uh, extol the, you know, the greatness of God's people by uh, talking about the, um, the, the mountains and hills of, of his nation. So take us back into chapter 35 to get started. We looked at this yesterday where the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel and tells Ezekiel to set his face against Mount Seir, which is the, the mountain that's going to represent Edom. What was said there to Mount Seir, to the people of Edom, that we need to re- recall as we prepare to look at chapter 36? Yeah, it, it basically he says that uh, he will lay it, lay it waste, um, pro- and it's probably because of the fact that uh, they were— um, probably assisting uh, Nebuchadnezzar in, in conquering Jerusalem. And, you know, Psalm, what is it, 137, uh, which is by the waters of Babylon, where it says, uh, remember uh, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, you know, how they said, raise it, raise it, and, and destroy it. And, and, and so, but, it, but basically it's a prophecy in Ezekiel 35 of destruction. You're gonna, he's going to lay it waste. Um, and, and it's interesting that later in history, 
one of uh, the uh, successors of Nebuchadnezzar, Nabonidus, who of course was the last of the Neo-Babylonian kings before uh, the uh, Cyrus the Persian uh, conquered the, the that area, Mesopotamia, that he all he had a um, uh, a military expedition into Edom and and uh, reduced the country, you know, in, in that way. So in chapter 35, it was a prophecy against Mount Seir to the, against the people of Edom. And we talked a little bit about there was the, in verse 5 of 35, they cherished perpetual enmity, this, this lifelong, uh, the, the history, when you go back through Edom and Israel, or go all the way back to Jacob and Esau, that Edom continued that enmity rather than fighting against it, turning to their brother in love. And you get in verse 10 how the people of Edom were saying, hey, we're just going to take possession of this land. Now that Babylon's come along and helped us out, we can take the land. And so for these reasons, the Lord speaks judgment against the people of Edom. And now in this chapter, in the first part of this chapter, at least chapter 36, He's going to promise restoration for his people, but again, he's going to do it with that same image of, of the mountains, that the, the mountains of Israel now are going to be exalted. And, and I mean, and again, let's, let's talk a little bit more in context, because you brought out chapter 6. The, the restoration of the mountains of Israel is going to be twofold. One, over the, what the enemies have done, but two, over what the people of Israel had done. And that's where chapter 6 comes back into play. Back in chapter 6, the Lord had Ezekiel prophesy against the mountains of Israel because of all the idolatry that was happening there. Now there's going to be restoration, and and I suppose this will connect to the, the rest of chapter 36 that we'll pick up in the next program, a return to true worship in the land of Israel. That's kind of the—so we've had law, and now gospel's coming in chapter 36. Exactly. I think you really outlined it very well in saying that. There were the high places. Even even the great kings like Hezekiah did not remove the high places. It was only Josiah uh, which uh, who finally removed the high places. And, um, you know, it's sort of like uh, it was just it was just too late because already already it was going to happen that that uh, God was going to visit judgment upon his people. And, and of course, uh, you know, Josiah's successors, um, uh, Jehoiakim and um, uh, Jehoiachin and Zedekiah, of course, uh, they, they, of course, committed terrible idolatry cause e- that Ezekiel notes in, in his prophecy. Is there any more introductory material that we need to make sure we cover before we get into chapter 36, Pastor Boyce Clare? Well, it's interesting that um, uh, looking at looking at Edom, that uh, it, it's kind of like it's called Mount Seir. Uh, there, there is a, it's rather interesting in the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, where they, they talk about the contrast between uh, Edom and Israel, and, and it's kind of like uh, w- between uh, Jacob and Esau. It says, just as Jacob was identified, this is from uh, the uh, Interpreter's Dictionary in the Bible, just as Jacob was identified with Israel, Esau was identified with Edom. While the story of the two brothers has a plot of its own, many of its features are based on the fortunes of the two nations. The name of Edom is explained either from the ruddiness of Esau or from the redness of the lentil uh, 
porridge that, uh, you know, Jacob was making. But, you know, the, even the, the terrain and the land of Edom is very red, you know, red soil. Uh, this, is, this was uh, very interesting. It says the southern boundary of Israel was marked by Mount Halak or Halak, which faced the Edomite boundary of Seir. Uh, and that's in Joshua 11 and 12. And accordingly, Jacob is described as being smooth in Genesis 27:11. That's Halak. And Esau is hairy. Uh, Sayir. So Sayir, of course, for, uh, Mount Sayir and so on is, is kind of relates to Esau, uh, you know, being a hairy man, you know. So again, th th these are two, two uh, siblings that, um, you know, there, there was a lot of bad uh, blood between them. And, and, uh, and, and like, and in, 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 in so sometimes we could probably um, somewhat empathize with Edom as, you know, considering the fact that mo for most of the history of the kingdom of Israel, they, uh, Edom was dominated by Israel and, and uh, Ju Judah. And so, and, and, but, but again, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it is for God to decide how he um, meets out his judgment and his uh, restoration. So, and, and the judgment of Edom was spoken there in chapter 35, and the reason that this chapter goes together with that is certainly, you know, the we've got the language that's similar. You have Mount Seir being preached against in chapter 35, and you've got the mountains of Israel that are being spoken to here in chapter 36, but there's also a, a theological connection, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, that there, there can't be gospel for the people of Israel unless the Lord deals with their enemies. And so chapter 35 is is judgment against Edom for the way that they've exalted themselves over the Lord, the way that they've attacked the people of God. And now chapter 36 is going to make explicit that this means salvation, restoration, redemption for the people of God. And, and that's the I guess the theological reason that we want to keep these two chapters side by side so that we see how, and this is something we've talked about, Pastor Boyce Claire, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because I, I think it, it still strikes my ears as a little strange, but I, I think I'm, I'm, the idea is growing on me that God's judgment ends up being a good thing. And I think when you put these two chapters side by side, you, you start to, you see how that works. Can, can you comment a little bit more on that, Pastor Boyce Claire? Well, yes, uh, I, I'm. You know, Martin Luther, in his in his uh, maturing in his Christian faith, uh, realizes that we have to condemn ourselves uh, when when uh, there this judgment is visited, which of course is in line with God's law. God's law um, does a, does a service to us by convicting us of sin. Uh, so that we were not condemned in the world, you know, uh, and L Luther's idea was, uh, which was a little bit immature uh, and, uh, until he came to his full knowledge of the gospel and so on, but that, that if you kind of pu um, punish yourself by, by recognizing that you're a sinner and then, and then, and, and humbling yourself in, in uh, your confession of sin, then, uh, you know, then, well, I guess there the idea was then, well, and God will show you mercy and 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 grace, but you know that but that's in God's intention as as God visits us with law and gospel that uh, once once we are are at the point where we uh, recognize our sin and that we're justly uh, visited with punishment, 
uh, you know, so and that, and that, of course, was what the what the pious people of the children of Israel did. Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, Jeremiah, uh, all of them uh, said, you know, we deserve all of this from the Lord. And, 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 it, and it works out for our salvation because this life is not all that there is. There is the life to come. And, and, when, and, and if God brings us to repentance in this life, then uh, we have the hope of the life to come, e- even if we, we aren't refreshed and, 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 and God does not restore us in this life, uh, you know, in other words, to blessings and so on. I think that's where the context, both of chapter 6 as background and chapter 35 of background is very helpful, because in chapter 6, the Lord speaks words of law and judgment against the enemy that's within, my own sinful nature that would lead me toward idolatry and all kinds of other great shame and vice. In chapter 35, the Lord speaks about the enemy from without, the devil, the world that would attack my faith. And so having dealt with both of those, proclaiming judgment upon my sinful nature, judgment upon my enemies, now I'm prepared to hear that good news, that gospel, that the Lord has defeated those enemies for me, and now, by his grace, he's going to restore, he's going to restore according to his gospel. So I, I think that sets the stage. Any more introductory comments, Pastor Boyce Claire, before we jump into 36? No, I think I think we've covered all the bases. All right. And, and... And, and I'm really appreciative of your, you know, uh, your summarizing of the, you know, the entire book as, as uh, Sharper Iron has gone through it. All right. So let's, let's dig in. We're in Ezekiel 36 verses 1 to 15 this morning. I think I'll go ahead and read the whole text for us. Ezekiel 36 beginning at verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. Because the enemy said of you, Aha, and the ancient heights have become our possession, therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and you became the talk and evil gossip of the people, therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills, the ravines and the valleys, the desolate wastes and the deserted cities, which have become a prey and a derision to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and utter contempt, that they might make its pasture lands a prey. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel, and say to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and valleys, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath, because you have suffered the reproach of the nations. Therefore thus says the Lord God, I swear that the nations that are all around you shall themselves suffer reproach. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown, and I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel, all of it. The cities shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt, and I will multiply on you man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful. And I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times, 
and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will let people walk on you, even my people Israel, and they shall possess you, and you shall be their inheritance, and you shall no longer bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour people and you bereave your nation of children. Therefore, you shall no longer devour people and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. And I will not let you hear any more the reproach of the nations, and you shall no longer bear the disgrace of the peoples and no longer cause your nation to stumble, declares the Lord God. That is our text for today. That's Ezekiel 36, verses 1 to 15. Pastor Boisclair, this text begins, the Lord addresses Ezekiel as the son of man. As we've pointed out, this time he's given to prophesy to the mountains of Israel, a contrast against setting his face against Mount Seir in the previous chapter. And he's told to speak to these mountains. And the first thing that he he points out is what the enemy is saying of the mountains. And the, the quotes are, aha, and... The ancient heights have become our possession. What what are these quotes from the, the enemies of God's people? What are they saying? What does that mean? Well, it, obviously that they're now, uh, the people of Israel are taken away from them. And so that then they, have, of course, are, are places where uh, the people, or rather the enemy can fortify itself. Uh, to I mean, I, that that's kind of like an obvious uh, take away from that. Also, the the fact that they had been used as um, shrines to Asherah, uh, you know, the gods of um, the uh, Mesopotamia. Well, you know, in other words, of Syria, Asherah and, and uh, Baal and so on that, uh, you know, in a sense, that's how they, you know, the, that the land itself was polluted. And and so, you know, in a, in a sense, it's kind of like, well, well, God is is um, uh, cleansing the land. Of course, they, they, you know, again, they they think of of Yahweh, uh, uh, the God of Israel, as as a, a national god that uh, you know really was powerless to keep the Babylonians from taking the people out of there, according to them. And so, but then the fact that they had been taken away was a judgment on them. And guess what? We get the benefit of that. That that that's kind of how I would see that, and 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 that was, and God is saying, well, that's that's something that brings my name into dishonor. Mm-hmm. Right. That that's going to come out in the second part of this chapter, particularly is right. what the what the people are saying about God and about His name. And yeah, it sounds like that the these enemies, and we we already got a few quotes from Edom in chapter thirty-five. These enemies have been very opportunistic with what's happened. the The Babylonians have come in. They've wiped out Jerusalem, taken lots of people exile. They've left pretty much the poorest in the land. And so Edom, and that's kind of, they, they typify this here. Edom comes along and says, hey, this place is ripe for the picking. I'll go ahead and take it for myself. And, and, the, and I think you, you've pointed this out for us, very important, that, that it's, it's more than just a political or an economic move, but it's a theological move. That, that they think, oh, look, the Lord has deserted his people. The Lord has deserted his land. You know, he's just one of these regional deities like we've got. And so since he's gone, we'll go in and take take advantage of it. And, and the real problem, well, I should say, I suppose all those things are problems. But at the heart of it is that theological move that the people of Edom are saying, look, the Lord's nobody. 
we're going to come in, our gods will be in charge, and, and that's really the, the theology that's the heart of, and the problem, theologically speaking. Yes. And, you know, a lot of these political things that occurred, you know, even the exodus from Egypt was always a judgment of God against the false gods. That was the whole that was the whole probably one of the central points that God was making by rescuing his people out of Egypt was because he wanted to visit judgment on the Egyptian gods. And so, you know, in in, in, in a sense, too. Uh, the fact that his people had abandoned him and 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 they they were they were suffering God used as a uh, an instrument of his judgment uh the uh, Assyrians in case of the northern kingdom and 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 the neo or the Chaldeans or the neo Babylonians for the southern kingdom and um you know it, it, there there's a lot of uh theology going on you might say in these political events that are taking place. Well, and I think sometimes in our, our context, where we we often think about a separation between church and state, we don't always think theologically when it comes to those political events. But but clearly here, the Lord is teaching, thinking theologically, and, and inviting his people to do the same. And, and maybe if we can consider it from the perspective of the people of Israel, at least the, the repentant remnant, you know, we, we've talked about how for Edom, they're thinking at this moment, look, the land's ours for the taking because the Lord has forsaken it. From the perspective of the faithful remnant, what could be going through their mind? Well, what what what's going on with the Lord? Is he really king over all? Is he really in charge? Is he the almighty creator of everything or not? If he's going to let our enemies you know, kick us when we're down, if Edom can come along and just swoop in and, and take advantage of what Babylon has done. What does that mean about who the Lord is? And so at the same time, you know, and this was really chapter 35, where the Lord comes to Edom and says, hey, look, I am not just a regional deity. I'm the Lord. That means I'm king over all. That message of judgment to Edom is also a message of good news then to the people of Israel, that their God hasn't forsaken them. Their God is going to be faithful to his promises. He's going to do it for the sake of his name, as we'll find out more in the, the next text. But I mean, that's where, you know, this matter of judgment against Edom, which is still dominating this part of chapter 36, is is good news for the people of Israel, because it, it does show them that the Lord in all of this is proving himself to be their God and the, the God over all. Exactly. I, and and, and that, it, it, in other words, it isn't a situation where you mix up, um, you know, the two kingdoms, you know, because like there's the two kingdoms, there's the kingdom of power and there's the kingdom of grace. Uh, God's kingdom of power, or, or we might say Christ's kingdom of power, which is known as the kingdom of the left hand, is, is, is basically how God... Uh, in his providence provides for the world and, and, and make sure that uh, people are cared for. And, and it's, uh, you know, by, by his, um, you know, nude might and, and, and authority. Whereas in the kingdom of grace, which is where, where you would talk where the, the people of God, which would be like the uh, Kahal in, in the old Testament, uh, the, the children of Israel, the, and, and in the new Testament, the church, it is it is governed by his only by his word and and um, and and the, and the you know in other words what he has revealed as his word and but then he doesn't he doesn't mix them you know I mean, I mean basically is saying like you know well I'm I'm the God of everybody 
and I have been since I created this world. And, uh, you know, I'm in charge here. <laughs> and, and so when they're, you know, I think God keeps it, keeps all of everything properly set up in, in, in his, uh, in his marvelous order. Certainly. As, as we get farther into the text, you know, we got the two quotes, aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. That's what the enemy is saying. And so Ezekiel is given to, to prophesy and the, the text may sound a little repetitive. You, know, you get the word, at, I, I picked this up from Dr. Hummel's commentary, the word therefore begins several verses in a row, and, and over and over again you get, thus says the Lord God. What, let's, let's try to, to, to dig into this. You know, what is being said first to the enemies here before more spoken to the, the good, or what's being spoken about the enemies before we talk more about what's being said then to the mountains of Israel? Well, it, it, they're they're taking it too far. Um, they're they're not uh, they're not take uh, again. Not that God has revealed this to uh, the enemies of Israel, but um, but that's uh, the prophet. Of course, is getting the word out. He's saying, you know, you you guys are going too far. Where you think that God is not going to keep uh, the land of Israel for his his people when they come back from their exile in 70 years uh, under Cyrus. And, and of course, uh, in, in, in this particular case is, you know, it, it sort of reminds me, although this is, you know, this is like an example from, uh, from Greek mythology. Uh, there, there was the um, King Pelias uh, basically uh, overthrew Thessaly in, in Greece, according to uh, myth. Um, because Zeus, the king of the gods, uh, ordained that he was to uh, take over that uh, kingdom, but then, uh, then, then, kind of more information came out that that there were there was going there were children of of the king uh, that uh, would would then avenge their father, and Pelias tried to kill those children, and Zeus says that you're going too far. I said you can have the kingdom but you can't uh, get it back. You know, you can't do, but so in other words, as, as here, God, yes, God has uh, judged his people. He has, uh, uh, they have been taken captive into Babylon, but they are coming back and God is going to prepare their land for them. Uh, in, in the case of, you know, it's interesting too, with Edom is that in history, later history, they will come, they will, uh, uh, occupy, uh, Southern Judah and, and they will, uh, their capital will be in Hebron. Uh, and that was the kingdom of Idumea where Herod the great came from. So, so in other words, they, yes, they did come into Israel, but, but that's, you know, maybe not God's intention. Right. Yeah, they, they took it too far. And I, that's a helpful reminder to some of the things we've talked about when it comes to these oracles against the nations that they, you know, just because the Lord gives a nation to do something like Babylon, Babylon becomes the instrument of the Lord's judgment against Israel. Just because the Lord calls them to do that does not give Babylon license to do whatever it wants or license to break the commandments of God. And the Lord will hold them accountable. And that's what we're seeing happening to Edom here is that they went too far. They went beyond what God had said and done, what his intentions were in bringing his people to this judgment. And because Edom has gone too far, they too fall under the Lord's judgment as the one who has created all things 
the God over all. We'll pick up more of those thoughts on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel 36 with Pastor David Boisclair. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, November 5th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 1 to 15 with Pastor David Boisclair. He is pastor at Bethesda and Faith Lutheran Churches in North St. Louis County, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, prior to the break, we were really digging into chapter 36, verses 1 to 7. And I mentioned that the word therefore shows up several times in this section repeatedly. Therefore, therefore, therefore. And as, as I've, I've quipped before, and I, I didn't make this up, but what what is the therefore therefore? Uh, the therefore is therefore the fact that God wants to uh, let those who uh, are hearing this prophecy to realize that that he has a reason for what he is doing, uh, and, and, and it, it is a revelation. And uh, in, in this case, the prophet Ezekiel, of course, is, is, is by the by God's word doing that. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting that like the prophecy is directed to the mountains and the hills. It's sort of like when you do a, when you do a uh, children's sermon in your, in your uh, divine service, uh, that it's, it's neat to be able to have the parents and everybody else that's in the church uh, listen in on something that's directed to somebody else. And so it's, it's kind of like you're invited, uh, you know, it, it, in a sense, it, it, it's almost poetic, uh, you know, speaking to the mountains of Israel and so on. And then, and then having God saying, you know, uh, basically giving a reason for everything that's happening. A lot of people nowadays wonder why do things occur? Why, why is everything occurring the way it is? And, and of course we, we cannot go beyond, uh, what God's, uh, written word has, has revealed to us. But, but in a sense at this time, there was a blessing that was imparted, uh, to the people of Israel and to the people of Moab. You know, I mean, this could probably have been a call for Moab to repent. Um, later, uh, one of the uh, 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 the um, Maccabean kings that w- was basically dealing with uh, Edom or what Idumea at that time, uh, they 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 basically compelled them to become uh, Jews or you know to become members of the of the faith of Israel, and so. You know, they're, they're, this kind of gives an, an opportunity even to Moab to repent and to turn to the Lord, because this is, in other words, this is why I'm doing it. And, and God's intention is that all be saved, which is, I guess, something that we should always remember. Certainly. I mean, that, that thought comes out in Ezekiel a couple of times, that the Lord does not desire the death of the sinner, but that the sinner would turn from his wicked ways and live. And no doubt... I mean that that lies behind every text of scripture even even the most difficult ones. One of the the 
images that is comes up a couple times in these first seven verses is the jealousy of the Lord. In, in verse 5, the Lord God says, Surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy. And again, later in verse 7, the Lord says, Behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath. Excuse me, that's verse 6, my jealous wrath. What does it mean that God is jealous? Well, uh, God is jealous, as he says, uh, in connection with the Ten Commandments, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So, you know, God has the right to have first place in the lives of the people he has created. Um, and uh, in, especially like this is true with, with the people of Israel, because uh, his, the covenant that God made through Moses with his people is that they would be like a, a pure virgin bride to him and, and faithful to him. And, and in this, if we understand it in this way, we understand jealousy here is not something that is evil. Uh, it is, it, it, there is the proper order where God wishes to bless his people that, that then he needs to be in the, kept in the position that he deserves to be a, a husband to them. Like as, as uh, Jeremiah says in, in Jeremiah 31, you know, he says, you know, they, they were unfaithful to me, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord or says Yahweh. And, and so, so in a sense, you know, in God, actually is is addressing all people even today you know um i am the one who created you there is no other god but me and and uh you know it it hurts or i don't want to say it hurts god but although it says you know god is is hurt uh, you know putting it into anthropomorphic idea that that uh, when people sin but but there is a place in your life that i'm entitled to and and it's for your uh, only for your good, only for your blessing. You know what, what strikes me about the word jealousy here is as you're especially as you're bringing out the the image there of the Lord being the husband to His people. I, I think generally when I've heard the word jealousy it, it connected there to the Ten Commandments, as you said, I've I've heard it in a, a threatening way. The Lord is jealous, so don't do anything to get on His bad side. You know, don't. Be careful, because he's jealous, and, and if you transgress, he's going to punish you. But I, I think that the the nuance here in Ezekiel 36, and maybe it's there in, in Exodus 20, and I've just been missing it as well, is, is not so much that, that threatening, but really a, a promise. And I think that comes through here, that, that the Lord's jealousy for his bride, for his own people, leads him, when, when these enemies are attacking— he's going to stand up and he's going to do something about it. He's not going to let the enemies of his people have their way with, with his people. He's going to stand up and do something, protect them, save them, precisely because he is the jealous husband. And I don't know that that's a—honestly, I don't know that's a nuance to the jealousy of the Lord that I've ever thought much about. I Again, I, I tend to think of it more as a threatening word, but but here I think in Ezekiel 36, there's a gospel element to it. That the Lord would. Oh yeah! Oh, oh absolutely! I think I think you you you've really put your finger on it, uh, and and that that's brought out here. It says, you know, I they are my people. They trust in me. You know, you can you can have that same. You know, you in, in a sense you can is understood there. You can have that same relationship as well. You know, if if by the grace of my Holy Spirit you turn 
from uh, your idols and from your false worship. Uh, but, you know, I, I am going to uh, be there for my people, you know, because this kind of ties into what will be mentioned later, that they think that God has failed his people, that he that he's powerless and to keep uh, these, uh, you know, the Babylonians from uh, conquering Jerusalem and destroy and laying waste the land. Uh, absolutely not. I think I think it is definitely uh, a gospel um, promise that is that is being put there. Yeah, I mean that, that's I'm I'm really glad I've read this part of Ezekiel now. I mean it's just one of those places where I, this isn't the most familiar text to me from the book of Ezekiel. But wow, what an amazing uh, insight that the Lord gives into who He is here in this text and and how His jealousy for His people. I mean that's that's why he protects them that's why he saves them that's why he rescues them and this is going to connect into the next text as well that we'll we'll pick up next week is is that you know he does this for the sake of who he is and i mean that that certainly connects to exodus 20 he is a jealous god that's who he is and so he's going to act in that way and then save his people and and that's what's happening here in ezekiel 36 any more comments on on verses 1 through 7 before we move into the rest of the text cuz I, I do think there's a bit of a transition in verse 8 no, I, I think I think we've covered okay. covered everything there. So, but uh, yes. Well, so then in verse eight, this is kind of the the you'd get a little more explicit now. Gospel toward the people, you know, this is what's going to happen there for the mountains of Israel. They're going to start shooting forth branches and yielding fruit. What what's happening in the imagery beginning in verse eight? Well, it's like it, it's like even Isaiah in his prophecy speaking that the that the uh, desert will become a fruitful field, uh, you know, in in in, in like uh, the dry. I, uh, uh, deserted uh, uh, wilderness will become uh, a garden of the Lord, and and that's that's the idea here. It's going to be, uh, you know, basically God is going to restore his his people back to their land, and he's also going to care for them and give them his abundance uh, of of um, physical blessings. In in that respect, and I, I love the connection to Isaiah. He he loves these. What I, I often think of Isaiah, particularly 35, I guess, is the chapter that stands out, almost like a time-lapse photography kind of thing, where you're, you're looking at a desert, and then the rain comes. And, and you know how deserts, when, when rain comes, suddenly everything blooms blooms into, into great color and, and green, and everything's just bright and vibrant all of a sudden. That's kind of the picture I've always had with, with Isaiah. This is like I'm watching it happen in this time-lapse photography. What might take, say, 24 hours, I get to see in you know, 15 seconds. And it's like Ezekiel's doing something similar here. And and at least the language that I'm I'm picking up, it sounds an awful lot like what happens with the Garden of Eden when it comes to, you know, the yielding of fruits and then the idea of working the land, the tilling and the sowing, and then the multiplying. I mean, it sounds like a, I don't know, return to Eden is the right language, but a, a new Eden is being described here. Exactly. And and it's it becomes a type of our hope for our, our glorious future in heaven, uh, where, you know, again, that, that will be, of course, like a, an existence beyond that we can't possibly imagine of, of indescribable bliss, uh, even as, as uh, the Apostle Paul says, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And, and, and it's, it's such a, a really precious uh, 
picture that is being presented to us here. And, and it's going to be even better. You know, like, uh, I, again, I always like uh, the, um, uh, the exalted in the Easter, in the Easter vigil, which says, oh, oh, happy fault of Adam that gained for us so great a savior, that God turns what has, what is evil uh, even as Joseph said to his brothers, you know, you meant evil against me, but God turned it for the saving of many lives, uh, you know, with the, with the, uh, when there was the famine. And so also the fact that our first parents uh, committed the worst tragedy in the history of humanity, that, that, uh, that brought about uh, our Lord, dear Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world and, 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 give, and giving us to us even more than was lost at Eden. Mm. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not what's described, say, in the book of Revelation. The new heavens and new earth isn't just Eden restored, but it's Eden surpassed. And and I mean, I think you know Ezekiel's got at least something. He in his prophetic view, he's he's at least you know that mountain may be far off in the distance for him, but it seems that he's gazing at it at least in in part here, because when you think about the return from exile and what that I think you've you've mentioned Cyrus previously in in our conversation. You think about what the return from exile was under Cyrus, and then as the, it continued over, you know, several years, it the description that Ezekiel gives here. I mean, it was good that they got to come home, but I don't know if it was as good as what Ezekiel sounds like here. At least historically, it, it seems he's got to have something more in mind than what happens in 539 BC and following. Exactly, I think you you really put your finger on that exactly, uh, which is what we see. That's why those passages are passages we use to um, to celebrate or or, recogn- or or observe Christ's advent. Uh, you know, it, it basically is it tells us that we have have this to look forward to, the um, you know God's bring brought back into onto the mountain of the Lord. Uh, where where he will feed us, where he will swallow up death forever. You see, Isaiah brings that out, doesn't he? And we will e- drink the finest wine and 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 eat the, the choicest food, and 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 we will forever be with him. So that I mean, the the picture here in verses eight through about eleven is is really a beautiful picture. You've got the the branches coming forth, yielding fruit. You've got the tilling and the sowing. So, I mean, you think about what Adam was given to do to care for the Garden of Eden. You've got the multiplication of, of people, cities being inhabited, waste places being rebuilt, man and beast multiplying. I mean, again, think about the, the harmony that exists there in the Garden of Eden between, between mankind and all of the creatures that God has placed there. It's, it's a beautiful picture, but but within that picture, it's it's almost easy to to overlook a couple, I think, of very key phrases in verse 9, where the Lord says, Behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you. And, and, and in this beautiful picture of, of Eden surpassed, I think those two key phrases, while small and, and maybe easy to, to gloss over, I think we need to spend a little bit of time on that, because those are both really important things, that the Lord is for us, and he's turning toward us. What, what do those two phrases tell us? Well, it's like it just it echoes uh, in in Saint Paul's uh, letter to the Romans eight. Uh, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? He that did not spare his own son, but gave him up freely for us all, how will he not with him give us all things? You know, it, it is such a, a, a it is a powerful gospel promise of God, or you know, a 
a, um, a revelation of, of where he's at, that he is for us. He's on our side. And, 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 that, and that, that really is encouraging in our spiritual lives. Uh, you know, in this case, of course, he's he's speaking to the mountains, you know, he's speaking to the, uh, you know, so, so it's kind of like uh, in his peaceable kingdom, he will he will cause all of this abundance to come forth from for his people. And, and then the matter of God turning to his people, at least what my mind goes to right away would be the, the benediction that was given to Aaron, that the, when the Lord turns to, and I, again, I know he's talking to the mountains, but when the Lord turns toward, this is, this is a good thing to have God looking at you. Right. Yeah. Well, both of those, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord uh, lift up his countenance or look upon you with favor. So it's, it's, yeah, the, you know, for instance, when Christ spoke about to the devil, he said, get behind me. I don't want to see you. (laughs) Uh, God wants to see us. Uh, sort of like, uh, you know, it's weird. Maybe maybe I, I remember hating it when my parents used to tell me children should be seen and not heard. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess there's there's some point to that. But uh, the fact that our parents want to see us right. and, and uh, because they look upon us with love and, and uh, delight. That's and right. So God also turns his face toward us. Uh, you know, very, a very important um, uh, Hebrew um, idiom that 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 is a, that that his his countenance is turned toward us and that his that he has a smiling face mm-hmm. right and so I suppose God God wants to see us and he also wants to hear us as well I mean you know I think of the the introduction to the Lord's prayer that our our dear father invites us to call upon him as as dear children and I mean you know so the Lord wants both he wants to see he wants to hear and so when we when we see in this text the Lord turning to Israel to his people to the mountains this is this is a gospel promise as well what about it in verse 12 letting the people walk on the mountains and then the matter of in yeah this is still verse 12 possession and inheritance what what's the promise there well it, it's it's like that was that was what was promised to you before and and I will I will bring you back it, it's a promise that they're going to come back to their land um, and, and, um, uh, they shall possess you. I mean, that was the promise that was given to Abraham. And, and, and again, you know, it's in the face of the way the circumstances as they are, Luther often pointed this out, you know, things look like, uh, God and, and what is good is, is, is being uh, defeated in the world that the devil is winning, but, uh, ultimately, uh, you know, God is saying, you know, what is unseen, you know, is going, it's, things are going to change. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean in a physical sense, but it, it means obviously in, in an eternal sense. You know, even as Paul says, you know, what the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. In verses 13 through 15, the Lord, again, is still speaking to the mountains, to the land, and and he promises that the land will no longer devour people, no longer bereave the nation of children. What what does that mean? Well, it, 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 that's, again, that's, that's probably maybe a little bit of a difficult passage there. Yes. Uh, you know, the children were offered on the high places by the faithless people. Uh, King Manasseh of, of Judah uh, sacrificed his, his sons uh, and his children uh, to Molech. 
um, you know, they, they would have these uh, idols that were made of uh, bronze and they're heated up or maybe iron probably because uh, the bronze would probably melt. And, 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 and then infants were thrown onto their laps and they were, that's where they make their children to pass through the fire. And, and, and so in that, that's kind of like the idea that this evil was, was taking place so that even the land itself was, was kind of implicated into, in such horrible crimes. And, and so then the, the picture that we're getting from those final verses, if I can kind of maybe try to connect some dots, it sounds like when the Lord says these things are no longer going to be happening, that the idea there is that the Lord is restoring true worship. He's getting rid of the idolatrous worship that was leading to the devouring of people and the bereaving of children, and he's going to be restoring true worship of, of him as the only God. Exactly. And, you know, you could probably even say, too, that that there's uh, because the the mountains will be so um, uh, luscious with uh, greenery and and, and uh, with vineyards and, and, and gardens, that that would be a place that's that that a child could live in, you know, instead of a desolate wilderness. Well, yeah, I mean, that was another thought that came to my mind when I, thinking about not just the mountains of Israel, but the land of Israel. And how when idolatry was rampant among God's people, one of the the covenant consequences that the Lord gave was, you know, famines and droughts. The time of Elijah is a good example. And, and so that, you know, with talking about the, the devouring of people, the bereaving of children, that again, because the, the false worship is gone, no longer is this land going to experience those kinds of things, famines and droughts, but rather it will be a place, I mean, to think about how the promised land was often described as the land flowing with milk and honey, the Lord's telling his people that's what it's going, or he's telling the land, that's what you'll be for the people again. Exactly. And it's interesting in the um, Lutheran, uh, um, by, you know, the, the new uh, Lutheran study Bible of the ESV that, that, that uh, CPH has, uh, in this, for this section, it mentions how in the ancient, ch- or rather early church, the early, our, our early church of the Christian church, that when uh, people were baptized into the faith, after they were baptized, they were given milk and honey to eat, <laughs> to remind them of, of uh, the promise of, of coming into the, the promised land and the promised eternal land in heaven. So then for us as Christians, when we think about the mountains of Israel, the land of Israel, we shouldn't really be thinking about a, a specific geographical location along the Mediterranean Sea, but we should be thinking about the church. Is that the point? Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. I think so, you think that, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that's uh, so. So, again, there's there. I don't want to say that there's two meanings. There's only one literal meaning of scripture, uh, you know, because like the, in the middle ages, they said, well, no, there's four of them or five of them. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it's like, he's talking about, you know, in time, the people of Israel are coming back from Babylon, but then ultimately when we leave this age and go into the age to come, we will uh, be in uh, heaven with God. Pastor Boyce Claire, we have about three minutes left on the morning. As you reflect on this section of Ezekiel 36, again, help us to see what the Lord is, is saying to his people here, and especially how this text points us to our Savior, Christ, crucified, risen, ascended for us. As, 
they're, they are so desolated by, uh, like in, in Ezekiel mentions, when the uh, when survivors came to Babylon uh, to tell them the the horrors of of uh, the city of Jerusalem being conquered and and the temple being destroyed, uh, you know, it, it, it was so devastating that uh, these these words are so comforting to the people that that um, you know it's it's a wreck over there. You know, now we're in in exile. But God is going to um, see us back into that land, and He is going. He has promised to make it a land that is once again flowing with milk and honey, and 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 to remind them that they are to be faithful uh, to their Lord, uh, who has promised them to do do this. Pastor David Boisclair is pastor at. Bethesda and Faith Lutheran Churches in North St. Louis County, Missouri, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 1 to 15. Pastor Boyce Claire, thanks for being our guest today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. The Lord promises restoration for the mountains of Israel. Mount Seir, the people of Edom, the enemies of the Lord, receive judgment, and that means salvation restoration, redemption for his people. The good news for you and for me is that the Lord takes care of our enemies. He doesn't stand idly by as our enemies attack, whether that's the sinful nature within us or the enemies from without, the devil, the world. The Lord sees and he acts as a jealous husband. He stands up, he does something, and he has done something through his son, Jesus Christ. In his jealousy for us as his people, he has rescued us, he has saved us, And he is taking us to our eternal home, the new heavens, the new earth that will be made manifest when our Lord Jesus Christ returns, when he raises us from our graves and takes us to our home with him forever. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, or otherwise, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We love to hear from you. We love to answer your questions on air. may take us a little bit to get to them, but please send them to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.